Hello everyone, and welcome to the History of Africa. I'm your host, Andy. Today we'll be introducing this series, and set a course the direction that I'd like this series to take, as well as taking a cursory look at the geography of the continent on which we'll be spending so much time. So, for starters, why am I making this podcast? Well, my girlfriend recently took an interest in world history, and while I'm personally fine digging into scholarly sources, I wanted something a little more digestible so she could listen while exercising or on her drive to work. She also took an interest in African history recently, as part of that wider interest, so I went into Google, typed African History Podcast into my search, and found to my shock and horror that there were no results. Sure, there were some general podcasts that had an episode or two on the Malian Empire, or some African culture podcasts that would occasionally dip into history, but there was no dedicated History of Africa, the podcast, TM. Well, why not be the change I want to see in the world and start the series myself? I mean, I've got plenty of time on my hands with a certain global crisis occurring right now, so I mean, why not? Anyways, as is mandatory among those who study African history, I have to give the spiel about how underappreciated African history is. And that's true. African history is way underappreciated. I find that even among people who are dyed-in-the-wool history buffs, the African continent is something of a blind spot, or dismissed as too political, whatever that means. More so, I find myself frustrated with how often educators, even, will preach about how underappreciated African history is before giving half a lecture on Mansa Musa and then moving on. Heck, I'm even frustrated by the mere concept of quote-unquote African history. Africa is a massive continent with countless civilizations, each of which is packed with enough fascinating stories to warrant its own podcast series. Imagine, for example, how awkward it would be if someone made a History of Europe podcast. Personally, I'd much prefer to make a History of Kanem or History of Ethiopia podcast, but unfortunately, I doubt that such a niche podcast would attract any major attention. Don't worry, though. I will strive to give each region and culture the focus that they deserve. Because of the huge scope and ambition of this project, I want to focus each episode on a specific culture, event, or theme, rather than a chronological account of events. Oh, and feel free to skip around. If you're just here to learn about the history of Sudan, I promise I won't be offended if you skip the non-Sudan episodes. Finally, I'm an American, and as a result, I will mess up the pronunciation of African names, locations, and groups a lot, probably several times just within this episode. So please, if I mangle a word or five, feel free to correct me. I promise I won't get salty about it. Now that that podcasty stuff is out of the way, let's move on to the good stuff. Episode 1. Where are we? I'd like to begin this podcast by establishing a setting. Now, assuming that you're not currently in Africa, I'd like for you to imagine for a second that you are. Look around you. What do you see? I'm assuming that most of you imagine some type of savanna. A dry grassland patrolled by the wonderful fauna that attracts tourists and poachers in the thousands every year. Or maybe you pictured a misty, humid rainforest. Maybe the endless tracts of shifting sand dunes of the Sahara. In my view, these are the three images of Africa that are promoted the most heavily in Western culture and media. And while none of them are technically wrong, Africa's terrain is much more diverse than just safari landscapes and deserts. For our first episode, we're going to learn about each of Africa's large climate regions, and I'll share some facts about the people and history of this region to try and get you guys interested in learning more in the future. Before we begin our summary of the many climate regions of Africa, I'd like to let you know that I'll be posting a map on this podcast's associated blog. That's 
historyofafricapodcast.blogspot.com if you'd like to follow along visually. Anyways, let's begin, for real this time. Let's start at the northernmost point of the continent. Africa's northern coast is bordered by the Mediterranean Sea. The gentle Mediterranean is one of the easiest to navigate bodies of water in the world, and as a result, the cultures of northern Africa engaged in regular trade, conflict, and cultural exchange with the peoples of Europe and the Middle East. We'll see throughout the show that outside influence will play a large role in this region. The climate of the northern coast can be largely divided into two sections, the so-called Mediterranean climate and the coastal desert. Most of the northwest African coast, so modern Algeria, Morocco, and Tunisia, are composed of the Mediterranean climate. This climate is known for its dry, hot summers and mild, comfortable winters. If you'd like to picture what this looks like, think of a vacation in southern Spain or coastal California. This climate is great for the cultivation of crops like wheat and grapes, and as a result, most of North Africa's most important cities exist in this climate zone. So in future episodes, when I mention cities like Tangier, Ceuta, Algier, or Tunis, picture this type of welcoming climate. The other climate to this region, the coastal desert, is, well, exactly what it sounds like. This region stretches from southern Tunisia across Libya and Egypt. It's incredibly dry, and as a result, there are very few rural communities in this region. Most of the population is concentrated in a few large cities along the coast and in oases, like Tripoli, Benghazi, Siwa, and Mersa Matra. Libya, a modern country in this region, is the second most urbanized country in Africa as a result of this harsh geography. Today, both the coastal desert and Mediterranean regions of North Africa are inhabited by a combination of Berbers, the indigenous people of North Africa, and Arabs, who migrated into the region and spread their culture to the locals in the 7th century AD. We'll be hearing a lot more about both the Arabs and the Berbers in future episodes. Of course, there is one massive exception to the arid nature of this region, the incredibly fertile Nile Valley. The Nile Valley is by far the most populous part of North Africa, and has historically been the center of both Egyptian and Nubian civilization. About 80% of the Nile's waters originate from the mountains of northern Ethiopia, where key minerals flow downriver and contribute to the fertile soil of this region. Because of this fertile soil, Egypt and Nubia have always dominated not just North Africa, but sometimes the whole world in terms of agricultural production. For example, during the era of Roman domination of Egypt, the region exported more grain than any other Roman province by far, and became the wealthiest province outside of Italy as a result. However, while this fertility can lead to great prosperity, it also makes the region attractive to invaders. As we'll see throughout the series, Egypt will build a civilization unrivaled in its splendor, only to become dominated by a series of foreign invaders for thousands of uninterrupted years. From the invasion of the Persian Emperor Cambyses in 525 BC until the Egyptian Revolution of 1952 AD, Egypt was almost always dominated by a foreign emperor or ruled by a foreign king. South of these regions is the largest hot desert in the world, the Sahara. This desert stretches over 9 million square kilometers, that's 3.6 million square miles to my fellow Americans, all the way across the northern region of Africa. This region is incredibly sparsely populated, with a hyper-arid climate that allows only the sparsest plant life to exist. The population of this desert can be divided into two general classes, 
sedentary people who live across the small oasis towns dotting the landscape, or nomads who travel between these towns and make a living off the transportation of valuable trade goods in perilous voyages across the desert. These nomads and oasis dwellers can be largely divided into three ethnic groups. The first group is the Sawari of the westernmost Sahara in modern-day Mauritania, Morocco, and the partially recognized state of Western Sahara. In the central parts of the Sahara reside the Tuareg Berbers, a people who live in modern Niger, Mali, and Burkina Faso. Finally, the easternmost group of nomads is the Tubo, a group of dark-skinned people who reside in the mountains and deserts of northern Chad. Like the famous nomads of Central Asia, these people would go on to have an incredibly outsized impact and influence on the people they neighbored. While the Sahara may seem like worthless sand today, historically the region was one of the most valuable in the world due to its massive salt deposits. While salt is cheap and easy to procure today, during the ancient and medieval eras it was a commodity just as valuable as gold. This trans-Saharan trade is a very interesting topic, and we'll certainly be hearing about it in future episodes. This massive desert limited contact between the people on each side of the Sahara, meaning that cultures north of the Sahara were influenced very little by the cultures south of the Sahara, and vice versa. Of course, this doesn't mean that trans-Saharan contact and influences never happened, and we'll talk about several notable examples of this kind of contact throughout the series, but just keep in mind that these events are exceptional. This was not true, however, in Egypt and Sudan, where the Nile River flowed across this desert. There was a whole lot of contact between the Egyptians and their southern neighbors as a result. At times, the Egyptians would dominate the Nubians, and at other times, the Nubians would dominate the Egyptians. However, most of the time, each society lived in a form of peaceful rivalry, with neither side being quite able to overtake the other. We'll talk a ton more about the relationship between these two people in future episodes about the regions of Egypt and Nubia. To the south of the Sahara lies a thin stretch of land known as the Sahel. This region runs as a thin band east to west across the entire continent of Africa, running from northern Senegal to Sudan. The word Sahel was oft believed to come from the Arab word meaning shore, referring to how local people saw the Sahara Desert as an uncrossable ocean, with the Sahel being the coastline. However, modern scholars believe that it instead comes from a word meaning steppe or prairie, and that the figurative use of the word as a shore emerged later. The Sahel is a transitionary region, acting as a sort of halfway between the harsh, arid Sahara to the north and the grassy savanna region to the south. This region is home to many of the most influential cities in the history of Africa, including Lingure, Timbuktu, Gao, Djenne, Soba, Meroe, and many more. This major influence came largely from the region's high potential for agricultural production, as well as its strategic location in the middle of the Trans-Saharan trade routes. Remember those nomads we mentioned earlier? Well, they often stopped in these important cities in order to rest after a long trip across the vast Sahara, or to procure provisions for such a trip in the future. These towns also served as marketplaces, where these nomadic merchants could sell their valuable wares and procure new goods to sell for a profit in foreign markets. Like the famous Silk Road, this exchange of goods was incredibly beneficial to these Sahelian cities, as they could tax these merchants for the right to enter. However, while life in the Sahel certainly had its benefits, the region was no paradise. While food production had high potential in the region, it was incredibly unstable due to the frequent droughts that the Sahel experiences. In fact, the Sahel still experiences intermittent droughts to this day, likely made worse due to modern climate change. 
Today, and in the past, these droughts have led to protracted periods of instability in Sahelian societies between the long periods of prosperity. South of the Sahel lies Africa's famous grasslands, the savanna. The savanna is quite similar to the Sahel, with the exception being its much higher density of trees and wildlife, so I will have unfortunately little to say about it in this episode that wasn't already said in the previous section. Like in the Sahel, savanna climates are susceptible to large-scale agriculture, as long as a sustainable source of fresh water is available. For this reason, the most advanced societies of the region largely developed along major rivers, like the Congo, Zambezi, Blue Nile, and Niger. Many of the valuable wares traded by the nomadic merchants mentioned earlier were produced in the savanna region, such as gold, ivory, and ebony wood. Stretching from along the southern coast of West Africa and into the interior of the continent are massive tropical rainforests. These dense rainforests possess rich soil for agriculture, but are difficult to navigate or to develop transportation infrastructure in. Due to this limitation, many of the most advanced societies in this region developed along rivers, lakes, or the coast, as these bodies of water allowed for an alternative method of transport as opposed to slogging through the dense foliage of the rainforest on foot. The Kingdom of Benin was one such civilization. It did not exist in the modern Republic of Benin, but actually in the Niger Delta region of modern Nigeria. I really want to go into the fascinating history and religion of this kingdom, but we'll have to wait for that. In the meantime, if you'd like to see something really cool, Google the flag of the Kingdom of Benin or view it on our blog. While whether or not it was actually used by the kingdom is highly debated among scholars, I still think it's really cool. On the other side of this grand rainforest lies another region where civilization thrived, the Great Lakes. These lakes, the largest of which are Lake Victoria, Lake Tanganyika, and Lake Malawi, contain more fresh water than the Great Lakes of North America, making them, in my opinion at least, the greatest lakes. The Great Lakes region also exists at a high altitude, making them significantly less forested than the rest of the equatorial forest region of Africa. Unfortunately, finding reliable sources on this region is incredibly difficult, as the political chaos that surrounded this region in the aftermath of its independence has led to the creation of many questionable mythologies. However, there are some civilizations in the area whose existence is indisputable, like Mengol, the capital of the great warlike empire of Buganda, that possessed a large freshwater navy of war canoes that raided neighboring societies for slaves and plunder. Some other states in the Great Lakes region included the kingdoms of Rwanda, Nkore, Bunyoro, and the Karagwe. This region would be subjective to the slave trade from the Omani Arabs in the nearby Sultanate of Zanzibar, such as when the infamous slaver Tipu Tip raided the region for slaves and ivory in the 19th century. In the future, I will discuss the fascinating character of Tipu Tip and his war against the Belgians, the Congo-Arab War, as well as the ancient and medieval history of the Great Lakes region more generally. To the northeast of the Great Rainforest region lies a region known as the Horn of Africa. Some modern countries from this region include Ethiopia, Eritrea, Djibouti, Somalia, and the unrecognized state of Somaliland. Within the Horn of Africa, the climate varies greatly. The region of modern Ethiopia is dominated primarily by a collection of mountains that form a sort of plateau, known as the Ethiopian Highlands. This region has served as the center of Ethiopian civilization, and contains such historically important cities as Kaffa, Aksum, Gondar, and the modern capital of Addis Ababa. If you enjoyed a good cup of coffee this morning, you have the Ethiopian highlands to thank. 
As the legend goes, a goat herd named Kali from Ethiopia was the first person to recognize the effects of caffeine after his goat started dancing after they ate some coffee plant. While the story is compelling, it is almost certainly an embellished version of the truth. However, there is still compelling evidence that the caffeinated drink we all enjoy originates from this part of East Africa. The highlands of Ethiopia form a rain shadow, meaning that they catch the rainy clouds that traverse from east to west across the African continent. This means that, while these highlands receive ample rainfall, the areas beyond the mountains are quite dry. Because of this rain shadow effect, the coast of the Horn of Africa is incredibly arid. Despite this, the coast of the Horn hosted some of the most advanced and metropolitan cities not only in Africa, but in the entire world. While its exact location is disputed, the northern coast of modern Somalia is one of the most likely candidates for the location of the mysterious land of Punt. Punt was an important trading partner with the ancient Egyptians, exporting gold, ivory, incenses, and rare timber to the pharaohs of Egypt. The land is also widely believed to host the origin of a river that watered the biblical Garden of Eden. Throughout most of recorded history, however, small city-states ruled section of the Horn Coast, rather than unified empires. Because of their strategic location at the intersection of the Red Sea and Indian Ocean, these states grew wealthy off the Indian Ocean trade between the laundry list of nations that included Indonesia, India, East Africa, Egypt, Persia, China, and the Arab world. This also means that these cities were influenced strongly by Indian and Arabic culture, something that becomes apparent when you look at the architecture in Somalia, with their prevalent Indian-style domed and Arab-styled arched entryways. Southern Somalia has a wetter climate than the north, more akin to the Sahel, and therefore was home to several larger states, like the Sultanates of Hobyo, Geledi, and the largest and most powerful of them all, the Ajuran. We'll talk more about these states, especially the Ajuran, in future episodes. To the south of the Horn Coast lies the Swahili Coast, a thin stretch of land dominated by people who speak the language of, well, no points for guessing. This region has a similar history to the Horn Coast, specifically its involvement in the Indian Ocean trade, so I won't go into it too much in this episode. However, it is worth noting that this region has a significantly wetter climate, and thus experienced more political centralization than the Horn Coast, with certain city-states growing to the point of essentially being empires. The three greatest examples of this phenomenon are Malindi, a city-state which exerted influence over its neighbors before falling to the Portuguese, Kilwa, a city-state which grew to dominate almost the entirety of the Swahili coast during its apex, and Zanzibar, an island which would host a sultanate ruled by Omani Arabs that controlled the region throughout the 19th century. The last region of mainland Africa which we'll discuss today is the southernmost region, and thus I'll refer to it as Southern Africa. This region encompasses the modern nations of Mozambique, Zambia, Zimbabwe, South Africa, Namibia, Botswana, Eswatini, and Lesotho. This region varies a lot in terms of its climate, but can generally be summed up as being wetter in the east and drier in the west. For example, in modern Mozambique, Zimbabwe, and on the east coast of South Africa, tropical savannas allow plant life to flourish. This easternmost region played host to a lineage of large centralized civilization, like the impressive and hard-to-pronounce empires of Mopungubwe, Great Zimbabwe, Butua, and Mutapa. As you move westward, however, you'll eventually end up in the Kalahari and Namib deserts, two of the driest places in the world. In the southwesternmost coast of this region, known as the Western Cape today, exists both a Mediterranean climate, which is very unusual for the region, and a people group unlike any other on Earth, 
These people are known as the Khoisan. They are incredibly unique in genetics, appearance, linguistics, and culture. I'm going to leave it there for now as a bit of a teaser. And if you'd like to hear more about this interesting group of people, then you're going to have to tune into our next episode, when we discuss the prehistory, migrations, and linguistic groups of Africa. Because I use the term mainland Africa at the start of that last spiel, I assume that most of you are now expecting me to conclude our list with a discussion of Madagascar. However, trying to describe the multiple climates of Madagascar is a heavy burden that honestly deserves to be a focus of its own episode. Therefore, I'll leave off the episode here. Thank you for listening to our first episode. The point of this episode, in addition to laying out the geography of the African continent, was to tease you with some upcoming topics to attract your attention. If you have any comments, criticisms, questions, or concerns, please feel free to leave them on our associated blog, thehistoryofafricapodcast.blogspot.com. Anyways, I'm a busy young man, despite what I said earlier about the pandemic, and I have to deal with both work and school while trying to record these episodes. For that reason, I'd really appreciate it if you could be patient with my uploads. I'll aim to do one every two weeks, but I can only guarantee one episode per month in good conscience. Regardless, thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time on the History of Africa.